Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, one of the hosts for the longest-running Dynasty-focused podcast on the planet, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you an episode packed with relevant and actionable Dynasty information that you can use to help win your league. When I'm in the host chair, we might even play a game or two. We are always open to topic suggestions, so if there's something you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thanks for listening. DLF family of podcasts. That's James the Brain. O M G O B J. That's Sam Stompy Lane. Uh, the moon landing was a hoax that was used. To, they used a soundstage and trampolines. That is Tim the Human Torch. What do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are probably the best bit dad jokes. The ones that are just like so cheesy. Yeah, I love that. Okay. I am John, legally tampered with Hogan. This is a super flex super show. And that's right. We brought in Tim Torch. This was actually, we had been working on this for quite a while to bring Tim in. Just so happens that we brought him in to help us break down free agency. And it just so happens that his Cleveland Browns, him and, uh, and our resident brainiac, Mr. James, uh, both uh, Cleveland Browns followers and analysts, uh, the Cleveland Browns, I mean, they've, they've won free agency. I, I don't think that there's, any uh any question about it at this point so we're again we're gonna we're just gonna go through a free agency tracker here and uh bring in tim to help us out you can find tim at tim and nfl on twitter he's also a co-host of the under the helmet podcast he's a contributor to ffstatistics.com sb nation and the browns wire which is part of the usa today's nfl wire so much going on but I'm so glad you found some time to join us on the super show. Thanks for being here, Tim. I was told this was locked on Browns. So (laughs) (laughs) not, not exactly sure what I'm doing here, but I guess I logged on to the Google hangout at the right time. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah. You mentioned all the laundry list of things that I, that I happen to do on my spare time that is there now, but who knows? I, I am an expected father here in the next few months. Really, really excited about that. And uh, I can't thank you enough for having me on. You actually asked me, Hey Tim, you want to be on? And of course I'm, I'm a little bit of a podcast whore. If you, if you say, Tim, can you be on? I'm, I'm like, sure. You have, you have like a listener. Sure. I'll talk to that person for, for a day. Well, let's, let's figure something out. And you asked me, what do I want to talk about? I said, I really don't care. Just have me on and, and we'll, we'll figure it out. From <laughs> we, we didn't, we didn't so, guarantee Tim that we have a listener, did we? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no one made that promise. Okay, good. I just didn't want didn't to weed you on, Tim. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, well, I still have, uh, I 
So I, my parents are divorced. So I've got a mother, a stepmother and multiple grandmothers. So yeah, we do have a handful of listeners. I was always told Frank's mom would listen to me if, if I needed someone to listen to a podcast. So (laughs) nice. (laughs) Nice. And, uh, and we actually talk a little bit of football too. So yeah, we got a couple bonuses there, um, above and beyond, uh, the, the standards that you laid out there. So I, we need to jump into this. Obviously there's one massive story and I don't feel like I could do it justice. I think that James needs to be the one to tee this up and, uh, and we need to get the reaction from the Cleveland faithful first. Well, I'm, I'm going to do this one with honors. I'm so, uh, so super excited about this, about, uh, about this one. So yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'll definitely tee it up. And I, I, Tim, if you, if you wouldn't mind kind of going into it, Odell Beckham Jr. traded to Cleveland. Um, and for fantasy purposes, it was for a defensive player, uh, uh, the 17th pick in this year's draft, um, and a, and a, th- a third in next year's draft. Um, so Tim, I I'll, I'll start with you, bud. How how do you think this move affects the Cleveland Browns fantasy wise and moving forward? Um, and also, what does it do to the Giants? Well, uh, there there's so much to unpack here, and it, it was interesting how they started with one trade, the Zeitler Vernon trade, and then they actually ended up mixing them both together. So it was just one big trade when it was all said and done. But I. It, it, the timeline of this has been really interesting. I actually first heard uh, fir- firmer information that it was going to be a one, two and Zeitler uh, a couple of weeks ago um, from I I'm with the Browns wire. We get a little bit of kind of on the side information. So I heard one, two and Zeitler and then Zeitler was traded this past week. And then all of a sudden I was like, ah, that, that, must not really be the case. And then I would say, say the trade happened at what? Eight, eight, nine, somewhere around there. I actually started hearing the, the solid framework of the trade itself at three 30, four o'clock that day. And, and I texted a couple of my friends. I didn't put anything out on social media, but I texted a few of my friends and I said, this is happening tonight. Be on the lookout and make sure your pants are off when it happens or else you're going to bust through something. And, and it did happen and they, they were all really excited. And I, I love the deal from the Browns. I, I will give them, them an A. It, it combines Jarvis Landry and Odo Beckham Jr., which are two, their two best friends. I think they could keep each other in check. They work out together, which I think is important. Everyone saw the picture last year of David Joku, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, and Baker Mayfield working out together. So maybe that was one more little piece of, of information that that the Browns were on Odell Beckham Jr. shortlist. And what they gave up, I th- I think it is. D- there's reasonable. And I think this is more than reasonable. They gave up the 17th pick in this year's draft. They gave up the 90 95th pick. I believe it was, uh, in the third round. So, uh, so yeah, the 95th pick overall, which I, I think is important. The, all the Sashi Brown lovers out there, just remember that this pick was actually acquired 
last year from the New England Patriots when the Browns traded. It was a later pick. It was six or a sixth or seventh rounder and Danny Shelton to the Patriots for a third rounder. So that third rounder from the Patriots is actually the kicker they put in to end up getting Odell Beckham Jr. I I love the trade. I I think giving him Sam. I know I know you're get, we have a tangent about Baker Mayfield's uh, status in in Superflex lore right now. But overall, for the Browns, this gives them what they needed. They needed a a guy that could stretch the field. Because Jarvis Landry, he wasn't stretching all quadrants of the field for the Cleveland Browns. David Joku can only do so much from a tight end position. So this really gave them a, a vertical threat and also someone that Baker Mayfield can rely on from day one of the 2019 season. From the Giants' perspective, I'm sorry I'm going on for a long time. From the Giants' perspective, I think this is an atrocity. I really think when they saw what the Steelers were actually able to get for Antonio Brown, I think they panicked and thought, what if Odo Beckham Jr. starts doing this? And at no point in time are we able to get a first round pick for him. I mean, that thought has to cross your mind. If he gets to the point where he says, you know what? I don't want to be on the Giants anymore. I'm going to pull an Antonio Brown. I'm going to dye my mustache blonde and I'm going to go back rap crazy until you get me off this team. And that, that, feels like where they were at with just the 17th pick, the 95th pick and Jabril Peppers and Jabril Peppers was whatever you might be hearing from Columbus radio, because I've heard that they're actually slamming him for being a bad locker room guy. That's not true. Jabril Peppers was a very good locker room guy. He interacted very well with the community. It's just from the person person side of things, it really stinks because he he was a guy that this team drafted and and you know really well. But on the other hand, you get Odell freaking Jr. Is it my turn? <laughs> Go for All it, right. man. All right, no, you're good. So I have no, no, no. You don't have to apologize. I've just been building up my anger throughout the day. <laughs> so I have put out there on Twitter that. I don't believe, and I've heard this from multiple people, that Baker is now the QB2 in fantasy dynasty football. Ooh. And that is absolutely wild to me. In fact, I heard Shane, our friend Shane, DFF Shane, <laughs> say he was the QB1 in dynasty. Wow. And that's actually what set all of this off. So I blame you, Shane. <laughs> I don't I, – I guess I don't understand what the thinking is here because first and foremost, and, and, and John can attest to this, that we tend to overreact when it comes to our rankings and shifting our rankings around. He won't even say that Patrick Mahomes is a QB1 currently, even though he's wrong. Um, not wrong. It's <laughs> actually correct that he is <laughs> – but I mean, He's regardless, done it once. I know. Regardless, regardless, it's a valid point that guys like Aaron Rodgers have been elite for a long time. And even last season, when he had a down season, quote unquote down season, he still threw for, uh, I got to check this real quick. He threw for 4,400 yards, 25 touchdowns, two interceptions. Mm -hmm. And he finished his QB7. Now, the scoring was up a little bit last season and probably continue to go up. But that was his down season. Yeah. 
Like, and and he's been elite for basically his entire career since he became a starter. Then you have guys like Andrew Luck who've also been elite basically his entire career since he's become a starter besides the injuries. Then you have guys like Dejon Watson who finished as the QB5 last season, and before that his points per game were at 28.6, which uh, in 2017 were was good for QB1. So he's he's proven it back to back seasons. Now he had obviously a injury shortened season. Then you have guys like, and, and we can move on beyond that too. I mean, I Patrick Mahomes is my current QB one, but he has that he has the one elite season, like record breaking season. Um, Carson Wentz has a top three season. Uh, Cam Newton has multiple, I believe, QB one seasons. And then, and then I can go into like Jared Goff. Jared Goff finishes QB seven, and he's still in probably one of the better offenses in the league. Uh, Russ Wilson has has multiple QB one seasons as well, and he's as about as efficient as possible. Um, I can make an argument for Dak, who's finished as a QB ten three straight seasons, and you're and people are already crowning Baker as a top two fantasy quarterback when he finished as the QB fifteen. Last season in points per game. Uh, since he became a starter, he was the QB 11. So I will give him that. Since week four through 17, he was the QB 11. But that puts so many people ahead of him. That puts Russ, Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson. I mean, we're forgetting about Matt Ryan, who has multiple QB, top 10 QB seasons. Andrew Luck, Patrick Mahomes. So... Let, and the other thing is, first off, he hasn't Baker hasn't proved. I mean, he's proven a decent amount just in terms of breaking like the touchdown record. But beyond that, like he hasn't proven that he's better than these elite guys. That these guys that have done it for longer or have do, who who have actually done it for more than a season. I get it. I'm excited to watch the Browns too. And I'm not saying Baker Mayfield's a bad quarterback. I think he's going to be a great quarterback. And I think if you have him in your top 10, that's fine. But there are a lot of guys who have been doing it for longer and have been elite, have been actually put up elite seasons that I would rather have. So until he proves to me that he has chemistry with OBJ, he has chemistry with that entire offense, and that he can put up that elite season, I'm still keeping him outside of my top five, my top five. I believe I have him as QB 10 currently. I, I just want to add to that a little bit. So maybe, maybe a point of, of actually what you would do to tell, give somebody direction with their team. If you see all, I always call it the tw- the Twitter, Twitter echo chamber, and it's people completely regurgitating the exact same thing over and over again, especially when these big deals type of happen. You see things come at you so many different times that, that you feel like it gets super pumped up. I, I don't know if you really feel this way or not, but if you have Baker Mayfield on a dynasty roster, would you look at this as, Hey, I have this guy now. I'm going to flip him, and I'm going to get an absolute war chest. I'm going to be Sashi Brown and establish my own war chest. And I'm going to pick up, uh, I, I don't know. I could imagine you could easily move to Jared Goff and something really nice from Baker Mayfield or, or multiple picks this year and next year. Is, is that maybe something you, you would advise people to do right now because you feel that way about Baker Mayfield? 
Absolutely. And you feel, and you feel like it's a spike, right? I, I was saying that about Jimmy Garoppolo last year. I didn't think Jimmy G was gonna was gonna do a darn thing because I didn't think he had the pieces around him in San Francisco. But this this is even more than what Jimmy G was last year. I, I completely agree. I, I think this is a perfect sell point or a sell time for Baker. I mean, I think you can get guys like Russ Wilson, um, Carson Wentz, plus let's say a two twenty twenty first, and I think you're not really losing out. You actually may end up having a better twenty nineteen season, um, moving and, and then still have a very very good quarterback moving forward. Plus, you get a first round pick. Like that's where this hype is currently. Are you rolling that into OBJ too? I'm sorry, I'm kind of taking over the podcast again, everybody. But rolling <laughs> rolling this into OBJ oh, that's too. A, that's this, why you're here, by the way, the, and especially on the Brown stuff. The, uh, this this feels like OBJ gets an upgrade to, to some level, but it, well, <laughs> a, a drastic upgrade in terms of quarterback. But I, I think maybe one part people aren't talking about are the ancillary pieces that are still there. Because OBJ does does get a quarterback upgrade, but now his competition for targets does. Uh, I mean, you could at least say it's a, a strong lateral move where he moves to having Jarvis Landry, who's dominated targets before, David Joku, who everyone wants to take a step forward, but what, but you would think his ceiling's capped. Nick Chubb taking another step forward, and whoever might be playing that third wide receiver. I, I feel like the level of competition is at least the same or better in Cleveland, and he doesn't have chemistry with Baker. So that that's just something that, that you could add into that thought process. So let's get our other Browns fan back involved here. James, uh, let's uh, – I want to know what you what you think both about Baker Mayfield and his dynasty superflex ranking and Odell Beckham Jr. Because I mean I, I think that what's interesting is to me, what I'm seeing anyways, is kind of an overreaction to Mayfield getting the you know getting the bump with Beckham coming in, but also an underreaction. And you know, it it, it should still be a, a lateral move. It, you know, like you, like you said, Tim, I mean, it's, you know, it, he gets an upgrade at quarterback and that's, uh, I, I think that that's something, um, it, it, it might be, it, it's arguably an improvement at, uh, you know, with the rest of the weapons around him. Um, but I don't know that I, I feel like he's taking a little bit too big of a hit in people's rankings right now. Um, considering, the above all else just the upgrade at quarterback and the upgrade in you know this the scheme so i want to know what you think james on on both of those guys yeah john uh, first off kind of replying to stompy here i i totally agree when it comes to baker and i think part of it with his dynasty ranking is you know in in dynasty we tend to be ageists you know we we look at that age and we go well you know, Baker's six years younger than this guy. Baker's, you know, and and part of the problem with that to me is quarterbacks, the longevity is there, and quarterbacks play not only longer. I mean, Tom Brady is, what, 40, and he's going to be signing a contract extension, it looks like. So, I mean, the, uh, between him and you got guys like uh, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, Big Ben, there are a lot of guys who are playing later in their career, and they're playing at a high level later in their career too. So – to me that, you know, especially at the quarterback position, you know, the rules have kind of been 
you know, restructured um, so that way the quarterbacks aren't taking those big hits anymore. Uh, people are afraid to hit them, actually. So they're 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 lasting longer and they're signing these huge contracts and they're not getting hit. So why wouldn't they, you know, play longer? And they can play longer because physically they're holding up better, I think. So that's another thing I think with co- the quarterback position in particular is you know, maybe not looking at that age as much. And I think that's where a lot of people are getting with Baker is he's so young, uh, you know, to to be able to have him over a guy like Andrew Luck, who's, well, I think there's a six-year difference or something. So I think people are trying to add that into the, you know, the benefit of taking Baker earlier, when in actuality, I don't know how much of a benefit it really is because either one should give you 10 plus years, um, you know, the way the way things are trending in the league right now. So, uh, that's first and foremost. That's that's my opinion. Is that Baker? I don't think should be at two. Um, I'd be hard pressed to put him top five. Still, uh, I still think he's outside the top five for me. But it, I mean, this definitely helps. And let's not. I mean, let's let's move on to Odell Beckham. I, this guy is one of the best, if not the best, fantasy receiver in the game, and he's always in that conversation. Um, being this could be a lateral move in the first year. Uh, because he's with a new quarterback, he's in a new offense. Um, you know, he's not going to have that chemistry there. Uh, you know, it it that could hurt him. But I also think being part of what should be a much better offense is going to give him more scoring opportunity. Um, I don't think his targets are going to go down any uh, at all. Um, I don't see that being a factor. So uh, I think that there are some pluses and minuses going into the first year for Beckham. But he was already he should have already been in the conversation for fantasy wide receiver one, um, anyways. And the fact that people are saying that, you know, if he goes as the fantasy wide receiver one uh, or two, that it's window now, uh, I, I just don't get. That's still a head scratcher to me. If it wasn't a sell window, you know, when he was with the Giants, I don't think it is now if he's being valued at that price. So uh, that's my take on it. And I definitely think uh, it also really helps out Nick Chubb. Um, I think he's going to see less loaded boxes. And I could see Nick Chubb really benefiting the most from this. Um, getting a lot of red zone opportunities too, so uh, yeah, I think I think Nick Chubb may be the main beneficiary of this, but I, I definitely like the move for for all the uh, the Cleveland Brown position players. That's for sure. Outside of you know Antonio Callaway and Rashard Higgins, sorry, John. Yeah, that was that one was a little tough, but that's actually going to lead to my next question. So obviously, on the Giants side, I mean, I think everybody takes a hit um, to a point where I, I mean, I. All of a sudden, that's a that's a roster just in total turmoil. I don't think that they have a real great direction at this point. But um, on the Cleveland side, I'm curious what you guys think. Who's who's hurt the most by this? I'll start David Joku, and that that's really my firm opinion on it because I I think what they're trying to do, their optimal configuration on the field right now, is going to be. 11 personnel, but with the addition of Demetrius Harris, I think they could do a lot of 12 personnel and actually really be a, could you imagine that red zone presence? Demetrius Harris with Odell Beckham Jr. and David Joku on the other side. I mean, that would, that would just be an amazing red zone package, but I really feel like this, this takes away that this caps the ceiling of a David Joku where it helps him is maybe the upside with more touchdowns, because I I do feel that the Browns could be a more efficient offense and get to the red zone regularly. So I think the touchdowns could be there a little bit more with David Joku and, and ultimately Nick Chubb, 
but you have to think that target ceiling where you really want your your tight end to be in that 100 ish area for targets I just don't think it can happen now. I don't think that's realistic for us. If you're saying Odell Beckham Jr. is getting 150, Jarvis Landry is getting 120, Nick Chubb, I know he's not going to get 100, but you would expect he's probably going to get, what, 40, 50 targets-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood, probably 20 to 30 receptions on the year. It starts adding up so quickly that it's hard to say, yeah, I'm also going to add a third wide receiver in there. I'm also going to add... Joku in there and Demetrius Harris. It's just so much that they would they would have to pass as much as the Steelers did last year to really get everyone in that level uh, of where you're saying everyone's going to be a number one at their position, maybe even multiple number ones at their position. I mean, I think the obvious one, probably uh, Antonio Callaway. I think there was a lot of people hoping that he was going to take a step in his second season. Um, we could also say Brashad Perryman, though he left the team in a fit of rage, whatever. <laughs> he rage quit. <laughs> to a worse situation, by the yeah, way. I don't even know if it's worse, but it's at, at the very least equivalent, which is hilarious to me. Um, oh, yeah, I'm just going to quit on the team that gave me a second chance and I actually did well for, but whatever. Um, but, yeah, I think I think, a lot, I, I think I agree a little bit with Tim, but – uh, and the reason might be because Landry, I think Landry has to move back into the slot. He just wasn't nearly as effective last season. He's that's where he lives and, and, and excels is in the slot. So I, I think moving Landry into the slot, you're going to take a lot of those underneath targets. But then again, David Njoku could be the red zone weapon for, uh, Baker this season. So could definitely see an uptick um, in touchdowns of just across the board, but especially for Najoku. But yeah, I think Callaway is kind of the obvious answer here. He's he's kind of the fourth or even fifth pass catcher option on this team now. And I just don't see him having a very bright future with the Browns right now. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this to the Giants and I don't I don't think this is a great thing for for Saquon Barkley, I mean, I you're taking away one of those threats that you had, you know, outside the hash mark, and that you had to respect. You know, you had to you had to respect um, Odell Beckham and his deep game and his all around game, and you just don't have that anymore. And I think I like Sterling Shepard a lot, and um, you know, I, I think he's you know he's a good receiver, and you know, they, Golden Tate's fine, and Evan Ingram's you know going to do his thing. But I mean, you just took. You just took a, a huge piece off of this offense, and now I don't see how. I mean, I, how do you not make Eli Manning try to beat you at this point? Like that's that's what I would do with these weapons, and I would try to try to focus in on stopping Saquon Barkley. So I'm loading the box, and I think he'll see more loaded boxes. I think that might hurt him. So I, I love Saquon Barkley. He is still my number one running back coming off the board. But I got to tell you, he's not my 1.01 anymore. I'm moving him down one spot behind Patrick Mahomes because I am really concerned on what this is going to do to him, not only in the short term, but also in the long term. I mean, how often is it that you can find a receiver that has the impact like Odell Beckham Jr. had for the Giants? I'm celebrating over here, James. I'm celebrating. Oh, man. We did it. We did it. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Well, we've spent almost half of this show already on Odell Beckham Jr. And I mean, could easily continue talking about this just to just to put a quick bow on it. I mean, I to me where Shane is probably going with this by, you know, piling some hyperbole onto Baker Mayfield is, like I said earlier, there's kind of an underreaction right now to Odell Beckham Jr. Shane is is devoted deeply devoted to the idea that Odell Beckham Jr. is still the best wide receiver in fantasy in dynasty. He's the wide receiver one. I don't, and I, and I personally am awfully close to that. So I appreciate the work that he's trying to do there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it probably, I'm guessing at least that that's mostly just, to lend a little bit of credibility to the idea that Odell Beckham Jr. actually gets a bump here and remains the best fantasy wide receiver, the best dynasty wide receiver. And it's because he gets a huge upgrade at quarterback. So that's, that's my guess. I mean, I don't want to put words into his mouth too much, but um, it it is, it is a very intriguing situation and uh, one that we're going to continue talking about throughout this off season. Um, because it it's made for some very volatile player values. But we do need to move on a little bit. We've got a ton of guys to talk about today. Some of these will be quite a bit easier, quite a bit faster. Uh, but we're <laughs> going to start with the next biggest one. And uh, also a little bit of an impact on the Browns. Surprise, surprise. Because just kind of everything is is just just kind of orbiting the Browns right at the moment. They're just kind of the center of the NFL universe. They just got rid of one of their absolute biggest nemeses and Antonio Brown, as he goes, he gets traded to the Oakland Raiders for a third and a fifth, right? Is that, that was, that was what the deal ultimately ended up being a third round pick and a fifth round pick this year. Yep. Yeah. So we need to talk about the impact of Antonio Brown on the Raiders we need to talk about the impact of Antonio Brown for Derek Carr. And I think that we need to talk about the impact for Ben Roethlisberger and the rest of the Steelers as well. So, yeah, I mean, again, a lot to unpack here. We'll try and get through this one a little bit faster um, so that we can start to uh, at least list off some of these other free agents. But let's start with Tim. Oh, there's... Uh, I I'm excited to see Antonio Brown leave the AFC North. Uh, There's so many mixed opinions on Antonio Brown going to the Raiders. And I'm a little bit conflicted because for football guys this past year, I, I watched the Steelers. I watched every game, every snap. I was there for Antonio Brown throughout the season. He had some of the biggest games I have ever seen in terms of film watching, just being able to dominate uh, opposing defenders. With that said, I'm nervous about the move to Oakland. And the reason I say that there's plenty of targets available. It, it, It is a prime situation when you put it down on paper. The part of it that makes me nervous is Derek Carr. And the reason I say that is they just ran Amari Cooper out of town because the because they didn't feel granted this isn't the whole reason but he really wasn't producing people in the fantasy community thought Amari Cooper was a bust 
because he wasn't producing there. Then he gets traded to, to Dallas and Dak feeds him, focuses on him, whether he's open or not. And he becomes productive. My concern in Oakland is that Derek Carr isn't going to be the guy to just lock onto you and say, here, I'm going to keep feeding you the ball, whether you're open or not, whether you can make yourself open at the end of your routes. He, he likes throwing the ball to the line close to the line of scrimmage. There was also a reason why Jared cook did as well as he did this year. So the idea of Antonio Brown, just going to the Raiders and instantly resuming his career being a 160 plus target guy, I'm not going to buy it because he, he may be close to that target number. I wouldn't be surprised. 120 to 130. I think that's realistic. That's acceptable. That still probably keeps him as a wide receiver one. But overall, in terms of looking from the change from Ben Roethlisberger to, to Derek Carr, that's such a change. The chemistry he had with Ben Roethlisberger was something that it was poetry to watch. And and there's a reason why Ben had, I think it was six or seven interceptions when he was targeting Antonio Brown. It's because no matter what the situation was, he was going to at least go in that direction to try to feed his guy. Derek Carr isn't that type of quarterback. He's not going to feed the guy that, that is just the supposed to be the alpha wide receiver and demand the targets. This could very well end up worse in the long run for the Raiders than anyone could expect. We may see the, the blonde mustache back next off season. So I agree a little bit. I think, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the severity of the drop for Antonio Brown. I mean, wide receiver ones under John Gruden, the maximum uh, targets that they've he's given them is 152. So I definitely think that Brown will be around 140, 100 between 140, 150. Um, but I mean, that's a far cry from his general pace of 180. And so I, I agree with Tim that he will still be a wide receiver one. I can even see top five. He's just not going to be the top wide receiver in the NFL anymore. Because I think his yardage is going to go down. And like Tim said, the quality of targets drops. Um, his total targets drops. So definitely seeing the yardage go down. I can still see him breaking double-digit touchdowns just because he's going to get fed. But he's not going to do 1,200, 1,400 yards and 14 touchdowns again, especially with the Raiders. Yeah, I think I agree with that, Stompy. I think uh, you're, you're right on. I'm, I'm – Thinking that uh, that this affects Antonio Brown uh, lightly, um, it, it's not. It, you know, I'm not going to overreact to it, but I do think that uh, that it will affect him. And it, he, you know, I don't see the yardage total being there, <clears throat> um, and he's probably going to have less scoring opportunities too. Um, you're and Tim, it is interesting that you bring up the fact that he's probably not going to be fed the ball um, because I I do agree with that. He he probably won't. Just the type of quarterback Derek Carr is. However. Um, I, I, I could see Antonio Brown still, uh, you know, really excelling at targets just because he's, there's really no one else that can get open on a consistent basis there. I think Jared Cook, uh, really outperformed last year. Um, but I, I think Antonio Brown's still going to be the guy there. Uh, and I think Derek Carr is good enough to get him the ball in the short range. It's going to be interesting to see the yards after catch. If Antonio Brown can continue making plays after the catch can, 
Derek Carr hit him in stride so he can, uh, you know, allow Antonio Brown to create uh, with the ball in his hands at that point. So um, <clears throat> that's going to be interesting to me to see is, you know, can they get on the same page and how quickly can they? Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a slight downtick for Antonio Brown, in my opinion, but I'm not going to overreact to it. I didn't have him as a top five fantasy receiver anyways in dynasty formats, uh, just due to age and uh, and kind of wondering what was going to happen with him not playing with Big Ben in the future. And uh, it looks like that that came a little bit sooner than I had even anticipated. So um, yeah, I think to me, it doesn't affect his rankings very much, but I, I, it's a slight downtick for him. I think his ceiling is a lot lower, um, but I, I still think the floor is pretty much the same in my opinion. It's actually kind of a funny situation um, because you see uh, probably an uptick from Carr just with the presence of Antonio, Antonio Brown, but then you see a downtick of Antonio Brown by Derek Carr. <laughs> Let's move on to the next guy then, and again, another guy leaves the – the AFC North, uh, because he needs to get out of the way of the the juggernaut forming there in Cleveland. So Joe Flacco, in this all this actually happened long before Odell Beckham, by the way. But Joe Flacco is traded to the Denver Broncos, takes over as a starting quarterback, and uh, subsequently, Case Keenum is traded from Denver to the Washington Redskins. So we can, I think, we can kind of talk about both of those at the same time. Let's just stay with the same order. Start with Tim. Hold on. Did you did you say subsequently? Did I? Probably. Yep. Okay. All right. Probably. I just wanted to make sure. We're trying to use big words on the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard it pronounced like that, by the way. Subsequently. Really? <laughs> huh. Oh. I, I haven't either, but now we have. Hey, we're breaking new ground today trendsetters we are trendsetters <laughs> on this podcast <laughs> i might have even might have even created a new word for all i know it's Subsequently, got a, it has something to do with sequins <laughs> yeah Subsequently, I will talk about Joe Flacco <laughs> landing, <laughs> landing with the with the broncos and the man who is apparently uh plays under center so much he is entering the prime of his career i i don't know what i can't i can't wrap around wrap my mind around the giants or the broncos anymore and the only part of this that makes sense to me is john elway is realizes that the second this franchise goes ends up picking in the top five he is gone. There's no longer a way for him to say we're we're right there. But the only way this franchise is saved is if you blow the whole thing up. Von Miller needs to go away for picks. Chris Harris needs to go away. I they actually started they had a really nice draft last year. I thought Bradley Chubb was a good piece. Uh, Deshaun uh, Hamilton and then also Cortland Sutton being added in the wide receiver core. But then they go do something like go ahead and bring Emmanuel Sanders back. You're you're torn Achilles and all, by the way, you're you're taking away assets from your team that allow you to build to build moving forward. It's just improper evaluation of the veteran assets you have on your team and a lack of long-term organizational development 
And, and that's really the cornerstone of whether we're talking about the Browns, what the Dolphins seem to be going into right now. I would even say the Saints because the Saints, they – We'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but they re, but they re-signed Teddy Bridgewater because Sean Payton has even come out and said he has his quarterback of the future. They traded for him last year using a third-round pick, and they're looking long-term beyond just this year and realizing that Drew Brees isn't going to be there very long. And the Broncos just aren't getting it through their heads that that Joe Flacco is is really delaying the inevitable. Think about how good the of drafting the saints had to do in order to be where they are right now. They had to hit on uh, Alvin Kamara. Uh, Lattimore just fell into their laps. They, they may have overreached last year when they traded two first round picks to move up to the Packers pick. I, it's just a lack of understanding where you at, where you are at as an organization and the Joe Flacco pick. Sure. As far as far as Superflex goes, I actually kind of like him because you know what? He's gonna go in the what seven, six, seventh, eighth round of a startup dynasty startup. He's gonna be practically free when we get to redraft, which is fine. I'll use him as a matchup guy throughout the season every now and then if I need to. But just as a as a long-term dynasty thinker that's that's focused on long-term goals of my team, I don't know how this is realistic in any way, shape, or form. So as a Broncos fan. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't I mean it's probably the best quarterback situation we've had in three, <laughs> four years, which says a lot about where this team is headed. I will say this. I with um oh my god, just forgot our head coach's name. I just I had a stroke in the middle of what I was saying. Awesome, Vic Fangio. Okay, there we go. Uh <laughs> I I believe in Vic Fangio in terms of rebuilding this defense. I think the a lot of people didn't like the Kareem Jackson signing. I actually did like it, especially with Darius or Darren Stewart um being cut because I think Kareem Jackson well, he did play at a Pro Bowl level, all Pro level, really, last season as a safety, and I believe that he would be a very good hybrid type player for them. Um, I think this defense is going to be fine. They were fine last season. I think with Vic Fangio, they will be better this season. And I this this team is built around running the ball and defense, and really all they need is a game manager. And I I view Flacco as a, more than a game manager. Um, now I'm not saying he's elite by any means. I know that is blasphemy, according to <laughs> Ravens fans. What, not are gonna, saying, what are you going to win, though, with a game manager? Well, that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, in well, 2015. won a Super Bowl. Yeah, but in 2015, <laughs> also in 2015, they won a Super Bowl despite their quarterbacks. Yeah, but now, they still needed the quarterbacks. to And, and Flacco – still had to play a pretty significant role for them in that, in that playoff run. No, no you, now, now you're talking, I'm talking about the Broncos here, right? No. Yeah. And I'm, I'm saying there. Okay. I, that's fine. But you, you have to admit that Peyton Manning's 2015 along with Brock Osweiler, that was far from desirable from a quarterback standpoint. Correct. Definitely. But and and we've seen this happen a few times. I mean, Flacco is definitely a, an example of this 
but I, you know, Brad Johnson, Trent Dilfer, yes. Jim McMahon, all these guys have one thing in common. Uh, I I would say I would say that Flacco's better than all of those that you just listed. I, okay, I would but, say I would say Flacco's better than Peyton Manning and Brock Osweiler in 2015. My point is, but they he, don't. Is he good enough to make up for the fact that you don't have an all-time great defense? I well, and that's that's the question. I don't know what this defense will look like under Vic Fangio. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess. You're getting a better quarterback play, probably better quarterback play than say that 2015 season. You're probably getting a, a lesser defensive play. Does that do those equal each other out? I don't know. I don't love the Flacco move. I don't hate it because I still think Flacco is a very capable quarterback. I just don't know what what and I Tim brought this up. I don't know the direction the Broncos are heading. It feels like we're just like in this limbo where it's like, well, we they're not high enough and they don't want to trade up to get a quarterback. And I'm not, I'm glad they aren't because I'm not especially high on this quarterback class, but then they get like guys like Flacco who will probably just allow them to wallow in mediocrity for a while and still not get a great quarterback or a franchise quarterback for the next few years. So that's, I, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what the Broncos are doing. Yeah, and uh, on top of all this, now we get the uh, the report, the the opinion from John Elway that Joe Flacco is in his prime right now at 34 <laughs> years old. So, yeah, I mean, any any ideas that this that this there's an actual plan in place here, and that this isn't just flat out delusion? I think probably gets negated by by that 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 theory right there that Joe Flacco is in the prime of his career. Anyways, <laughs> I want to hear from James on this though before we move on. Yeah, I'll be honest, I don't really have much else to add. Um I'm not going to prolong the Joe Flacco talk. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to do what? I think I'm going to do the listeners a favor and end this while we can. So <laughs> All right. Uh, well, w- while we're on the topic, though, what about Case Keenum to Washington? I mean, the 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 reports have been that he likely challenge. He he likely has to compete with Colt McCoy for the starting job. Now, I mean, in reality, Case Keenum's going to win that job. He's twice the quarterback that Colt McCoy is. But what does that mean for? You know the rest of the the Washington offense and Case Keenum is a super flex dynasty asset. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. Uh, I don't think it does much for him. I mean, I it's not that I dislike Keenum. I just don't like the supporting cast. I mean, with uh, with Geis and then Washington bringing back Adrian Peterson is another move that just shows you that they're going to probably be dedicated to the run. There's not a whole lot of pass catching options there. Uh, you know, you have Jordan Reed, but you know when he's healthy. Um, he, he seems like he's okay, but uh, that's that's few and far between in the, the games that he's actually suiting up for. And uh, I mean, just the wide receiver position, uh, you know, losing Crowder and then, uh, you know, you have, you just don't have much there is, is the main problem. So um, I, I, I mean, even if Keenum does win that starting job, I just don't see a whole lot there for him to work with. Um, he's a back end QB two and super flex for me. And, even at that, I probably feel way, way better having him as a QB three on my roster. So I wouldn't want to count on uh, Case Keenum in Washington. 
That's it's true. Yeah. It's always in that plan of action type type side of things where what you really think. And I just think of case Keenum as a whole for that team and in trying to develop in my mind, what that looks like in terms of any usable things. And case Keenum is a serviceable veteran quarterback that can run the offense. I think that's the most diplomatic way that I can come across describing what Case Keenum is. And and he was historic when he was in college, maybe the best college quarterback ever if in terms of raw numbers. But this offense feels like a complete dumpster fire. I I saw someone on Twitter Today, and I really need to start writing this stuff down, talk about how it's amazing that Darius Geis went from being, what, maybe a fifth-round startup pick last year to being a third-round startup pick this year because after he tears his ACL and with the state current state of the team. And that's kind of where I'm at right now is look at the pieces on this Washington offense. Josh Doxson. He, for for lack of a better way of looking at it, he's been pretty much a bust. You can say it's the, you can say it's the quarterbacks that are giving him the opportunity. Maybe it's something else. Uh, Trey Quinn, maybe the one bright light to take away from everything because Jameson Crowder's now with the Jets. Uh, Adrian Peterson was re-signed, so I I'm kind of looking at this as I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start hearing news Darius Geis might be put on the pup to start the season and, and he's still going to be your third round startup pick. I understand we're talking dynasty here, but you're, you're losing a year and, and a quarter, a third of his, of his lifespan. That's, that's challenging that the, those are all big hurdles for this offense to go through right now. And that that's really that plan of action. I like to go through in my mind when I'm talking about someone do, making a move or planning on acquiring a player, what type of story are you telling yourself about the offense that this person's going to be on? And honestly, the Washington offense, I could see them being a bottom quarter. So a bottom eight offense in 2019. Are we back to saying Dan Snyder is a horrible owner and GM? Who's who's worse. <laughs> so, so Washington, uh, Washington or the Broncos right now? Oh, it's absolutely Washington. Yeah, I agree. I like their their skill positions. I I, I love Cortland Sutton. I love Dejon Hamilton. I I actually really like Tim Patrick. But you also have Philip Lindsay of Royce Freeman. The skill positions for the Broncos are actually set up pretty well. But then you look at Washington and you have Trey Quinn is, and then you got an injured Darius Geis. We don't know what he's going to be when he comes back. Or, or if he, or for for the season after an ACL injury, and I, I I've talked about that ad nauseum just in terms of uh, compensation injuries, and then and then what else? I, I hampered Jordan Reed. There's just nothing there, and now watch, now you have a quarterback. Watch, watch out for Paul Richardson, by the uh, way. With with Case, yes. You, yes. you kidding me? No, no, I'm not. I mean, I thought it was a joke too. I thought there was a joke coming. He's got to throw, throw to Trey Quinn, and wow. then and then like the mixture of Jordan Reed and, and Vernon Davis. 
but Paul, the, the, Paul Richardson has a skill set that very much matches Emmanuel Sanders. And to me, I, that that's when that's when you got the best version of Case, at least in his short time with the Broncos, was when Emmanuel Sanders was healthy and his primary option. I, I but you, he's not. He's got a skill set like that, but he's not near the receiver that Emmanuel Sanders is. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we will. Um, <laughs> but I, I think what we're looking at is a team without an identity. The Washington Redskins, they have a great offensive line. They could be a, a, a great running team, but you just signed a 30-year-old running back in Adrian Peterson, more older than that, to a two-year deal. You're coming, you have a guy coming off of an injury, an ACL injury. They don't have the pass attack. They don't really have the defense either. It's just a team without an identity. And you want to talk about wallowing in mediocrity. I don't see a way out for the Redskins until they start losing, believe it or not. Yeah, that's fair. The Broncos are also a little bit better run right at the moment, as as crazy as that is to say, because at least they're trying different things. This this it feels like watching the Redskins make the moves that they've made. It, it feels like Bruce Smith and Deion Sanders happened just last year. If like this, this is the way the Washington Redskins have approached free agency for as long as I can remember, and it's never worked for them. And yet they still keep attacking it the same way. So yeah, they're they're a ways off. All right, one more guy that we want to talk about it, with a little bit of detail here. I, I mean, I think that we might get to uh, some of these other guys with a certain amount of detail as well, but uh, another former Brown, surprise, surprise. Carlos Hyde ends up with the Kansas City Chiefs. Not a huge impact, I don't believe, for his former team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I think that we can focus primarily on the Kansas City Chiefs on this one. Um, does... How how worried are you? Uh, how worried are you, Tim, about Carlos Hyde? If you're the Damian Williams owner, I put it on Twitter. I will restate it here that this may have been a one of the saving moves for Damian Williams in the Chiefs' offense. And the reason I say that is that Carlos Hyde is a 29-year-old running back who did have one good season under Kyle Shanahan in terms of being an active pass catcher. However, other than that, he hasn't had a very high target ceiling, so you shouldn't expect him to be that active in the passing game. And in my opinion, Carlos Hyde is the equivalent of a meat blanket a meet safeguard for Damian Williams, because I also now don't believe that, that the chiefs will turn. I don't believe they'll make a significant investment in a running back during the NFL draft, which in my opinion is the biggest obstacle that's, that's left to go. They have plenty of questions left on defense, even though they just signed Ty- uh, the honey badger is a safety. So they still have needs all across that defense, especially since they just lost D Ford. I wouldn't expect them to address the running back position with a rookie pick until day three. And if that's the case, 
then that's absolutely fine. I still expect my shares of Damian Williams to start to take to keep taking slow and steady steps up in value. And but I am happy to cash out when I feel the price is right. And when I say the price is right, if you can get anywhere in the top half of the first round of your rookie draft, if you can get a 20, 22,000 first, that's fine. And if you can find yourself anywhere in the in what's considered the top four rounds of a dynasty startup, I would I would definitely do that. When I say that, I'm talking about Corey Davis, uh, any any of those big wide receivers we talk about. If you could flip. Uh, Damian Williams for Mark Ingram, and then a, a nice piece. The, those are the type of moves I would be making with them right now. And those are progressive steps forward. If you have Carlos Hyde, which I do in a few leagues, I did cash out this weekend too, because I where he's at right now, I can still sell and it could go either way. You could see him being, being a player that, that goes up in value. I, I could easily see, getting top value for Carlos Hyde one more time, possibly. But the realistic point of view that I'm looking at is he has a whole lot more downside, especially if he's called the backup. So I, I did cash out for a 2020 second round pick over the weekend. For Damian Williams, you said? For Carlos, for okay. Carlos Hyde. I, was, I almost freaked out in my head. I was like, what? <laughs> no, no, for for Carlos, I'm sorry. I I may not have said those words. No, I, Carlos, I, I, Carlos Hyde, I still have on a lot of rosters and over the weekend I did cash out for a second round okay. 2020 pick. Um I tend to agree here. Uh he's he's basically the insurance policy. He's Spencer Ware uh for Damian Williams. Damian Williams is obviously a, a better pass catcher than Carlos Hyde. So he he fits more in this Kansas City offense. And like Tim said, I can see them going for a running back in the third round, a young running back, but that's not going to really affect Damian Williams. The issues for the Chiefs are not on offense. They don't need help on offense. Sure, if you could get an elite running back, that would just make them that more lethal, but Damian Williams did fine in his stead last season. Now, they do need help on defense, and I think that's where they are going to focus most of their energy in the draft. So I believe the, the Carlos hiding uh, the, the Carlos Hyde signing does not really affect Damian Williams whatsoever. It's more of an insurance policy. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I, I definitely feel like Damian Williams took advantage of the opportunity he was given in Kansas city last year. He put up, put up really good numbers in the limited opportunity he had. But again, we, we had a very limited sample size of that. And I think I would be concerned if I was heavily invested in in Damian Williams. And so I think the Carlos Hyde signing actually does a little something for me because I think it, it does show that Kansas City wanted to have a backup plan. And maybe that's because of how badly they, they feel like they got burned with the cream hunt thing. Or maybe it's just because they're not totally sure what they have in Damian Williams themselves. So uh, I, I think there's more to it. I would be happy if I had Hyde and he wound up in, in this situation. The reason being is because, I mean, the ceiling is there. If Carlos Hyde gets playing time on this offense, I think we all know, you know, any running back that gets playing time on this offense is going to have, uh, you know, be on the field a lot. Um, Carlos Hyde can still catch passes regardless of whether he does it as well as Damian Williams or not. He is still a good pass catching back out of the backfield. And if, if he gets the playing time, whether it's injury or whether it's just due to ineffectiveness by Williams, 
I mean, I think we can all kind of expect some some good things, some good fantasy numbers. So I would rather him go here and be, even if he is a clear-cut backup to Damian Williams, I'd rather him do that than go into a timeshare on some of these other offenses that were in the market for a running back, like a Miami or something like that. I, I would much rather this be the landing spot. So if if I had Carlos Hyde, I, I would definitely be be pretty happy with this landing spot and the opportunity that he may have. Um, and if, you know, I, I don't know that I would go out and, and buy him actively unless I'm the Damian Williams owner, I would, I would actually go out and try to, to get Carlos Hyde just because I do feel like Carlos Hyde's going to end up being the handcuff. And it, it, I, I would, I have hesitation, uh, relying heavily on Damian Williams. If, if I had him rostered, I love that approach, by the way, I think that there's a very good chance that Damian Williams, gets the start early in the season. If he misses any time whatsoever, Carlos Hyde is going to take over that role. At least, you know, at, at least as long as he holds up. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to hold value. It's just that you're going to have to wait through Damian Williams. So you might as well start with Damian Williams on your roster so that you can transition into the Carlos Hyde era when that, when that comes. We actually do have one more guy that we need to talk about um, going through this list. And uh, it's because this is a quarterback-centric podcast. Nick Foles leaves the Philadelphia Eagles, where he led them to a Super Bowl championship, and he goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Blake Bortles is released subsequently. So let's talk about Nick Foles for a minute. And what does this do for his value? What does this do for the rest of his targets? Above all else, though, where are you going to value Nick Foles? in a super flex dynasty league. And let's start with Tim for a four year deal. And they, they cleared the deck. So they got rid of Blake portals. He's the, I, I ask myself what premium pieces does Nick Foles have to throw to? And it, there's DD Westbrook. There's Keelan Cole, Leonard Fournette, I guess, as far as a premium pass catcher, uh, that's there's just not a lot there to actually grab onto, and you, you have to look at Nick Foles' time when he was in Philadelphia. A large reason he was so successful was because of good, skilled pass catchers, Zach Ertz, uh, Alshon Jeffrey was there. So, I hope this team understands what they're doing and realizing that they need to give Nick Foles a premium pass catcher to really continued working forward. So, so a guy I could see them target, I would love to see an alpha come in like an AJ Brown to really take over that wide receiver core, any type of upgrade they could make in the, at the tight end position. So if they would Boy, that feels really early for them to take a Noah font, but if they would move back a little and get some extra draft capital, they could get Noah. Imagine getting Noah font in the first, turning around and getting AJ Brown in the second, and then picking up some extra draft capital to fill some other needs. Then I would feel a little bit better about the pieces surrounding Nick Foles and him as a player. I think I'm on the same bandwidth here. I, I am really intrigued by D.D. Westbrook. Uh, Foles relied on Aguilar uh, last or the last two seasons when he was a starter, I guess in terms of wide receivers. Obviously, Ertz was the quote-unquote wide receiver one for the Eagles. But 
unless they do get somebody like a no font or a TJ Hawkinson or an Irv Smith, I he's going more of the targets are going to the wide receiver. So I'm very intrigued by DD Westbrook. Um, he finished a, a high end Q or our wide receiver three or a low end wide receiver two last season with a terrible quarterback situation. So I, and I, I have to believe that Foles is better than the combination of Bortles and Kessler. So I think DD Westbrook is a legitimate wide receiver two with Foles. Now, if they do get somebody better on the outside than Keelan Cole, and that hurts me in my soul because I believed in Keelan Cole last season, they have DJ Shark to take the top off of the defense. If you can get somebody, and I don't know if AJ Brown's the right answer, but then again, I don't know who is the right answer here. But if you could get somebody um, on the uh, to play that X wide receiver role, uh, I think this could end up being a a decent pass game. I'm not seeing they're going to be great. This is another team that's built around the run and defense. But if you could get somebody, and I'm not, Nikhil probably won't be there. I don't like DK. I've already made that pretty well known. Um, but if you could get somebody like Hakeem Butler, let's say, or Kelvin Harmon on the that outside to play that X-type role, this could be a decent um, passing game. And Foles could be a, in, in the words of Bobby Koch, a serviceable QB. Yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with everything you just said, Snoppy. I think the one name that sticks out to me that is intriguing is Moncrief. Uh, I would really like to see what he can do uh, with Foles at the helm. And Moncrief's in, in Pittsburgh. I'm sorry, not not Moncrief. Uh, like you had said, uh, Westbrook. Uh, with with DD Westbrook, I would like to see kind of how he can do with Foles at the uh, at the helm there. And I also feel like. Uh, with Foles, what we saw was he really used Elshon Jeffrey a lot. Elshon Jeffrey's numbers really went up when Foles started uh, starting consistently uh, there in Philadelphia when Wentz went out with an injury. And so I think that main alpha wide receiver would be nice. I think a Hakeem Butler fits perfectly. First off, Jacksonville's need areas are on offense still. Uh, their def- their defense, you know, uh, for for all intents and purposes, is, is still pretty good um, as far as talent goes. So. I don't know if they have to address too many needs on that area at that side of the ball. Um, so I, I could see a Keem Butler because, you know, that that's a guy who can block, you know, he's a good run blocking uh, wide receiver too. So that's, that would really help him. That would be a feather in his cap. Um, so is a guy like a, a, a Calvin Harmon, someone like that who, who can block, you know, who can, who can really help in that aspect of the game. And I think that's going to help Nick Foles too, because, you know, it, this this offense obviously likes to run the ball. Um, they would they would rather be built around the run, and I think that's going to help Nick Foles being able to work off a of play action. Um, and as far as the tight end goes, I do think that that's a position that they can look to upgrade in the draft as well. But I don't even know if they have to do that all that early. This tight end class is very deep. You can get a Jay Sternberger maybe in the third round, and then you know you don't have to uh, spend one of those top two picks on a tight end. Um, or you can even wait later. I mean, there are going to be names that are available. There's going to be a, a guy like Caleb Wilson is a guy who I like a lot out of UCLA who might be there in the fourth or fifth. So um, there's going to be tight ends there that I think that they can uh, they can get and that can help upgrade that offense immediately too. So, yeah, I, I think we're all thinking along the same wavelength, at least where um, we can see Foles being fantasy relevant and having some upside. Uh, but I think Jacksonville needs to do a little bit of work to uh, – you know, to really solidify his supporting cast at this point. All right. Well, this is the part of the show. This is regularly scheduled where I freak out about the time and Stompy tells me that 
everybody wants to hear us talk football and uh, to stop worrying about how long we're taking. Here's my issue. I sound like a cartoon character at 2x speed. So I really would like to cut this short. No, you and- don't. Would you just <laughs> relax? Everybody wants to hear I don't. I, 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 I don't believe you. Relax. R-E-L-A-X, like Aaron Rodgers said, relax. I will say that Scott Fish did do a study. Sorry, there's a siren happening in the background. I may have a tornado on the way. Oh, Uh, man. That's a that's the that's our timer going off. Dude. We're taking too long. Scott Scott Fish did do a study and said people as much as exciting as I'm sure everyone loves this. Uh, Scott Fish did a study and people prefer podcasts in the 45 minute range. Oh yeah, it's been a long hey, time Scott since we Fish. Scott Fish R E L A X <laughs> and Scott Fish's followers more more uh, more specifically. Yeah, uh, it's not good, guys. Let's let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> but we we do have a ton of guys to at least mention here. So what we're gonna do, how we're gonna shotgun this, is I'm gonna give you a handful of names. If you have a reaction, a quick reaction to any one of them, go ahead and uh, and throw it out there. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll go a few at a time, and then uh, give you each a chance to to throw in some some analysis. So I'm going to start real quick with a couple offensive linemen. You know, there's there's not a lot of that that we're going to talk about, but these two in particular, Kevin Zeitler, we talked earlier about the trade uh, that sent him to the New York Giants from the Cleveland Browns. Finally, a little bit of an upgrade along the offensive line, and then they just decimate the, the skill positions. So... And then Trent Brown goes to the Oakland Raiders, uh, the highest, uh, the 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 biggest contract I believe in the NFL history for an for a offensive lineman. And then while we're at it, let's throw in Deshaun Jackson getting traded back to Philadelphia, where it all started. And Danny Danny Amendola signs with the Detroit Lions. I I I'll I'll go first. I think I'll mention the Trent Brown signing. Only from the fact that I read an article from Optimum Scouting that went over what the Patriots are doing, really outwitting the entire league in terms of uh, how they are acquiring compensatory picks. And they do something called pick swap. So what they do is they're, they'll send a third round pick to the 49ers for Trent Brown and a fifth round pick. So they get, get back a fifth round pick. And then Trent Brown actually signs this mega deal with Oakland, which in turn gives the Patriots a third, third round compensatory pick in 2020. So sure. They ended up shipping off a third round pick to San Francisco, but really they ended up still, still having a, a good left tackle for a season. And they have a third round pick that's coming in the compensatory picks and a fifth round pick. I mean, that is just like mad science level craziness of being able to work the system. And I am incredibly impressed and people need to be paying more attention of what they're doing. Kevin Zeitler is an improvement for the New York giants. He's going to help Saquon Barkley and hopefully a new quarterback that they would get in the draft. But, who knows if they're going to make that move or not. Hopefully not Daniel Jones. 
that Zeitler signing, I'm just going to say this one step forward, two steps back, because yeah, you got better on the offensive line, but when you don't have anybody to be afraid of in that passing game, and I understand they have Evan Ingram and they have uh, Sterling Shepard, and now they have Golden Tate, but they're still going to be uh, stacking the box against Saquon, uh, not and making Eli throw the ball. So like I said, one step forward, two steps back. Um, the, the things I know about Trent Brown is mostly from Von Miller. Von Miller called him the best right tackle in the league at one point. So I don't love that. But then again, Von Miller is probably one of, if not the best pass rushers in the league. So I'm not really worried there. Um, Dejon Jackson, I really, really do like uh, for the Eagles. I think he's going to do what Mike Wallace was supposed to do for them last season. Um, but I think he's going to be healthier and he is better than Mike Wallace. So if he can take the top off of the defenses and help with Ertz and Aguilar and Alshon Jeffrey underneath and getting them open. Great. And then Amendola kind of just a lesser version of golden Tate. I think he's a great pick pickup. Um, but uh, they're, that team is moving towards a more balanced attack. So I just don't know how much, uh, how relevant Amendola is going to be in fantasy this season. Yeah. The, the only one that really jumps out to me is Amendola. And I just, I, I like the signing. It really fills a need. I mean, Detroit needed something in the slot and, you know, if Marvin Jones does, you know, can stay healthy, great. If not, I think Danny Amendola, um, you know, his value goes up even more. Uh, but I, I, I really like the signing. I think Amendola is the type of receiver that is going to work well there. Um, you know, Matt Patricia is no no stranger to Danny Amendola. So uh, I have a feeling that, uh, that you know, them, them kind of being familiar with each other too is going to help. Uh, I just think that that signing really fills a need. It's an under-the-radar signing that uh, that I don't think many people are going to to talk about because it's not a sexy name, but it's definitely uh, something that's going to fill a role for them. And in that that division with the Bears and the Packers, um, you know, getting better and Minnesota already being a step ahead, I think Detroit needs to needs to, you know, make as many as many good signings as they can at this point to keep keep pace in that division. So um, I really like the Amendola signing to Detroit. All right, let me give you a uh, a list of some kind of sexy names before we uh, we wrap it up with the all the rest, quote unquote. So Mike Davis goes to the Bears. Tevin Coleman to the San Francisco 49ers. Mark Ingram signs with the Baltimore Ravens and Golden Tate, as we just mentioned, with the New York Giants. I love the Mark Ingram signing. I, I For people who listen have been listening to UTH recently, or if you haven't heard of it before, feel free to find us over at Under the Helmet Podcast and UTHNIC.com. Uh, <laughs> that was quick. Sorry about that, fellas. Um, I think... I think our shift has been go- been going to more hoarding running backs and having a really d- deep uh, stable of running backs that you can pull from at any given time. Mark Ingram is should be the the guy in Baltimore. I love the fit. I think he has maybe a, a running backs one season left in the tank before he really starts the decline. Uh, I think it, it was just a perfect fit, perfect marriage. He could easily see the highest uh, touch volume of his career in 2019. Uh, I agree on Ingram. I, I think paired with Lamar Jackson, he's he's due, he's due for, at, at the very least, a top-end um, running back uh, two season. 
but yeah, you could definitely see a uh, running back one season um, if if he's involved in the pass game, like he th- I think he will be. Uh, Mike Davis to the Bears. I don't really know because Jordan Howard's still there. I think they're still trying to move him, but he he's kind of just the ruiner of everybody's day in terms of fantasy. He did it in Seattle. He's probably going to do it now in Chicago with Tariq Cohen. Um, so I don't know necessarily what they're going for there. Tevin Coleman is hilarious to me. I think I actually called this last season. And uh, sorry, Outhouse, but this is really funny to me just on the Jarek McKinnon hype. I don't necessarily know what's going to happen there, if they're going to cut him or not. Um, but now they have basically a three-headed monster Um at running back. So I'm not trusting anybody in that backfield until somebody gets cut. Golden Tate, what are you doing? I just, New York, Dave Gettleman just doesn't know what he's doing with that franchise. First off, you trade off one of the trade away, one of the best wide receivers in the game. And then you sign a 30 year old Golden Tate. Don't really have any idea what you're doing at quarterback. And now you're wasting years of, the top running back in the league. Um, and then in terms of um, – uh, actually, that was it, wasn't it? Never mind. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'm just going to address Tevin Coleman right quick. I actually love the signing for San Francisco, and I like the landing spot for Tevin Coleman too. I, I really feel like Tevin Coleman was at his best when he was in Shanahan offense uh, in Atlanta, and I think him reuniting with Shanahan is going to be a good thing. Um, I also was never a, a total believer on um, on McKinnon. Uh, I was starting to come around on him just because I thought opportunity was going to be there, but I'm starting to think less and less that that's going to be the case. Um, if, if the opportunity was going to be there and San Francisco was totally sold on him being healthy and being able to be the bell cow running back, I don't think they would have made this signing. Um, so to me, the writing's on the wall. I think, I think Tevin Coleman's going to come in and I, I, I wouldn't – it wouldn't shock me. As a matter of fact, I expect Tevin Coleman to be the starter week one. I just think he's a better back. I think he knows the system. He's already going in with a uh, kind of on an even playing field. I mean, he's already played in this system, and he fits so well in this system. It's just that one cut-and-go zone scheme that that Tevin Coleman fits in. This is the system that Tevin Coleman should really excel in. So I love the signing. I think it's a great signing for San Francisco, a really good landing spot for Tevin Coleman. And you're right, Stompy. Um, opportunity is going to be key. And, you know, if you can't trust it, I understand. But I don't think Tevin Coleman is being overvalued at this point. So I think I would be willing to take the fire on him because I do think that he's going to get the majority of the ball carries there in San Francisco. All right. Here's another list for you guys. Three of them excite me. Three of them bore the absolute crap out of me. Let's see how you guys feel about him. Jamison Crowder goes to the New York Jets. Jesse James to the Detroit Lions, Frank Gore to the Buffalo Bills, Devin Funches to Indianapolis, Adam Humphreys to Tennessee, and Tyrell Williams to Oakland. This all all six of them really bore me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll say the one I like the best is Devin Funches to the Colts, and people keep harping about the money. It's a one year contract, and. And after this year, they can re-sign him to a long-term deal if he turns out well, or they can cut bait with no casualties and no strong repercussions on on their team as a whole. And I think that's the important way to look at it. T.Y. Hilton needs help on 
on the other side of him. There needs to be a big, a big, a big presence that offsets what he's trying to do down the field. And I think this was a really smart signing. And again, the Colts could be another team. They prefer to build through the draft, but they're taking a shot on a young wide receiver. And what I'll say, just take this one step further, who's still developing. You're, you're giving him a quarterback change from Cam Newton to Andrew Luck. I don't think that I, I'm going to say it one more time, just so everyone understands where I'm trying to go with this cam Newton to Andrew luck. That that is a monumental shift in quarterback play. And this may be a bit outlandish. I, I could see Devin Funches being a top 20 wide receiver. No questions just based on the upgrading quarterback and the stability of the franchise around him. So first on Devin Funches, he is the tight end four on that team. <laughs> um, but really, I, I don't know about top 20, but I do think he's going to be fantasy relevant. I mean, Andrew Luck is my QB two. He's definitely a better passer than Cam Newton. Um, I actually wish Tyrell Williams went there to uh, start a, alongside T.Y. Hilton, um, which – and the fact that he went to Oakland breaks my heart because he basically is in the same situation he was with the Chargers. Uh, so, but yeah, Funches, Funches should be fine. I, I mean, I'm not going to say top 20, probably a uh, high end uh, wide receiver three is where I could see him finishing, um, but that's still uh, fantasy relevant. Um, Tyrell Williams, probably you're looking at another wide receiver three there. Like I said, I'm broken hearted over that. Frank Gore has now the is now the oldest in the nursing home, and that is the Buffalo Bills backfield. With I th think Lashawn McCoy is thirty one, Frank Gore is thirty four, Chris Ivory is thirty. I don't know what they're doing there. Marcus Murphy might be a flyer investment um, with all of the brittle bones that exist in in Buffalo. Um, Jesse James is nothing to me. He's a blocking tight end. Uh, they have three wide receivers now. They don't use – and a pass-catching running back. They don't use their tight end much in Detroit. Daryl Bevel doesn't – I mean, he's off and on on tight ends as well. So we'll see. But I, I think Jesse James is more of a blocking tight end than anything. Adam Humphreys is nothing to me. He now has no significant fantasy value uh, in my eyes going to the Titans, which don't know how to use a their wide receiver alone, one, let alone a slot wide receiver. And then finally, I think Jamison Crowder is – and under the radar signing, I mean, putting him in the slot and moving Quincy Anunua out to the Y or flanker position, I think is actually good for this team. Anunua is built like an outside receiver. Uh, he's also very quick. And he actually, in 2017, 2016, 2016, had the highest deep ball catch rate in the league. So he can definitely play on the outside. So I actually like that Jamison Crowder signing a little bit. Yeah, to me, the one that stands out is Adam Humphreys. I actually like the signing in Tennessee, and I, I tell you what. Um, I First off, I don't, as far as misusing Corey Davis goes, I, I'm and I'm sure I'm going to be in the minority here, but I, I don't know that I'm ready to say that Corey Davis isn't a bust because I just don't think he's that good. He, he, I know that we we always look at the offense and we say, well, you know, Mariota's to blame, and, and I, I do agree with that. I think – a lot of the blame does have to be shouldered on on Mariota and and him not being healthy, which 
I mean, at some point has to to factor into his his value because I mean we can't just keep making excuses that he's never healthy uh, because that that just if he's never healthy then that's kind of the player that he is at that point. Um, uh, however, I I just I don't. I don't see it with Corey Davis. And I, I really, I, I was very high on him coming out. And up until, you know, th- this past season, you know, I was always, I was always there. I was one of those guys making excuses for him too. But at this point, like there's just, the production just doesn't match the talent. And so, yeah, I don't know if there's a disconnect or not, but I, I, I just, I, I don't trust Corey Davis as being a wide receiver one in fantasy ever. And so I like the Adam Humphrey signing because I think it provides a safety valve for Marcus Mariota. I don't know what's going to happen with the tight end position there. I think Adam Humphreys is a guy who is smart enough. He knows how to get open. He's really good against zone coverage. Um, that's the one thing I like about Adam Humphreys is he seems to find that zone. And even if his route is supposed to continue across, he knows to sit um, you know, if he's going to run into coverage, it seems like he does that for his quarterbacks. He did that really well for Jameis Winston too, at times. So I really like Adam Humphreys to Tennessee. I think it's a good signing. Um, I don't know that his fantasy value goes up or down any to me. I think it's still the same. Um, however, I do think that that's something that Adam Humphreys increased his ceiling because I could see him getting more targets, uh, in Tennessee, to be honest, um, just because there's not enough mouth not as many mouths there as there was in Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay. When you had Mike Evans, you had the two tight ends with OJ Howard um, and uh, Cameron Bray, you had Chris Godwin um, and, you know, I, Deshaun Jackson as well. Um, Adam Humphreys is really battling to, to get on the field a lot of times, whereas I don't think that's going to be a battle at all in Tennessee. All right. And now the quote unquote, all the rest. Tyler Croft goes to the Buffalo Bills, Jordan Matthews to the 49ers, Kevin White to the Cardinals, Demetrius Harris to Cleveland, and Dante Moncrief to the Steelers. Anything there worth talking about? I think Tyler Croft is just important to to point out as far as uh, a quality target for for the Bills who need more more pass catchers sure they have john brown and maybe the fastest wide receiver core in the in this whole entire national football league but if you're in any type of tight end premium format they gave him a very respectable contract and he could be had for pennies right now i'll just say this demetrius harris broke my heart so he was my second heartbreak of this week and I hate it so much. Everybody else on there is like kind of a meh reaction for me. Yeah, I, I kind of I, I think I agree with both of you. Those are the two names that stood out to me. But I, I will talk real quick about Kevin White going to the Cardinals. And the only reason I'm going to talk about this is because I, I wonder if it just seemed like there was a disconnect that the Chicago organization just couldn't, no matter what they tried, they couldn't get the best out of Kevin White. You know, it seemed like he was always in his own head and that sort of thing. But I wonder if a player like Larry Fitzgerald can work with him and can get through to him and to get him uh, back to where he's playing confidently and he has confidence in his game again. That's the only thing I would monitor is I, I wonder if a player like that, somebody who can mentor him, you know, on the field and and kind of show him lead by example with, with some of those things. I wonder if that would have an impact on Kevin White, because he, he definitely uh, was was a talent coming out of West Virginia. I mean, there were not everyone was sold on him. However, he 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 should more than what he's been so um i i almost wonder if maybe larry fitzgerald isn't the guy to to kind of work with kevin white and you know maybe the cardinals say hey look 
uh, you know, go to Larry Fitzgerald and, and kind of tell him that, you know, this is kind of the path that they would like him to take. And I'm sure, you know, being the the kind of guy Larry Fitzgerald is that we've all heard of, um, he, he'd probably be willing to do that, uh, you know, be, be that guy for Kevin White. So um, to me, that's interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll monitor it. It's not something that I'm going to, uh, you know, take a flyer on or anything. I, I, you know, I don't know that Kevin White's even rosterable in most leagues, depending on how deep your bench is, but um, definitely a guy I would be keeping an eye on, uh, especially, uh, you know, keeping near to the ground in training camp and maybe keeping an eye on uh, the first couple preseason games and see what his role ends up being there. Does Larry Fitzgerald have magic healing hands? Uh, I don't know, but he is a technician. Okay. No. <laughs> God. No. Yeah, we got to dig it down right why, there, buddy. <laughs> that's why we don't go this long, because this late in the show, crap like that happens. Not okay with it. Not okay. Um, all right. Well, so one last note. Looks like Teddy Bridgewater re-signs with the New Orleans Saints. I have no idea who's going to start at quarterback for the Miami Dolphins at this point. They've missed out on Blake pretty much anything. It's looking like Blake Bortles is probably your best bet. And whoever they sign, it's going to be very short term. And uh, they probably draft somebody who takes mm-hmm. over early on. So, yeah, that's uh, there, there's a little analysis from me. I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot today, but. Uh, it, more than anything, we just wanted to run through this list of free agents and uh, give as much analysis as we possibly could. And that's why we brought in an NFL insider like Mr. At Tim NFL, Tim Torch. We got to thank you again for coming on, man. Where can the people find all of your copious amounts of work? You can find me on Twitter at Tim NFL. I am the co-host of the weekly Under the Helmet podcast. I sometimes, not very often, write at uthnic.com. Priority of my, the most, oh my God, I'm th- this podcast is going too long. <laughs> <laughs> See? The, most so of my good. written content can actually f- be found at ffstatistics.com. Great crew over there, uh, headed up by Addison Hayes and and company. Uh, I do some work for the Browns wires. Uh, maybe the draft wire has actually called me up to do some prospect interviews one-on-one. And uh, I also cover the Steelers during, with the football guys during the NFL season. Oh, interesting. I didn't know... Uh... Didn't know that part. I didn't know you were going to be working on the draft. Didn't know that uh, that you that you were uh, plugged in with the Steelers as well. So the the draft stuff that's where we really want to keep up with you uh, with the the NFL draft coming up in just over a month. So we're definitely going to keep tabs on Tim. You should as well. Follow him on on Twitter at Tim NFL and check out that Under the Helmet podcast. Man, that thing's it, they've you guys have been at it for a while. And do a really great job with that. So coming up on 400 episodes, 400 weekly, weekly episodes. Yes, that's insane. Okay, yeah, yeah. So if you you've probably been listening to Under the Helmet all along, but if you if you haven't been introduced to it yet, uh, get a get accustomed to it because it's a great one. But we're gonna wrap it up there for the week, and as we do, ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to the DLF family of podcasts, the Mega Feed, and get access to all of the great podcasts from DLF. And once you're subscribed, if you'd give us a rating and review, not all podcatchers give you that option, but the ones that do, 
Those ratings and reviews help us to expand our reach, get out to a larger audience, involve more people in the conversation. And from there, we can really zero in on the topics that are the most useful to you, the listener. In the vein of listener interaction, send us your trades on Twitter at SuperFlexShow. You can also send them to any one of us individually. Stompy is at FFStompy. James is at underscore James the Brain. I'm at SuperFlexDude. And again, Tim is at TimNFL. And we can, uh, we can retweet them, help you get more votes. And sometimes we even bring them right here on the podcast and analyze them. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the song The Addiction that we use as our intro and outro music. And above all else, thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Till the end, have a good day.